Episode 13 of All Those Things Revealed. The next morning, I woke to the sounds of Mother preparing breakfast at our hearth. Father had already left and Eamon was still sleeping. I dressed and joined Mother at the hearth. I helped her set the table. Once the tea and plates of food were on the table, she walked to the loft and called up to Eamon. Eamon, I have breakfast ready for you. I heard some stirring. Mother and I seated ourselves at the table and waited. I saw Shannon emerge. I went to our hutch and found her dish. I filled it with milk. I carefully carried it to her designated area. It was then that I heard Eamon starting to descend from the loft. I looked up and almost dropped the bowl of milk. Eamon had washed and changed into cleaner clothing provided by father. He was as thin as a rail and his skin was even paler than it had been the day before. His eyes looked glazed and he was clearly running a fever. He slowly moved down the ladder, rung by rung. His body trembled. I looked back at mother. I could tell that she too was alarmed. Eamon, you are unwell, she said. I am very tired, Mrs. de Lamar, he said. Mother and I exchanged looks. Why don't you eat something and then return to bed? You don't have to report to work until tomorrow, Mother said. Eamon slowly walked to the table. I saw that the sunlight filtering into our cottage caused his eyes to squint. He lowered himself onto the chair at our table. He winced as if he were in pain. I am just weary and sore from my journey, he said. He ate slowly, but he managed to finish everything on his plate as well as two mugs of tea. When he had finished, he thanked Mother and returned to the loft. Mother and I watched him. He was not much older than Shannon or Adam, but he moved as if he were a hundred years old. I was still concerned due to his appearance and evident fatigue, but I also realized I had never suffered as he had. I had never gone hungry. I had never been forced to travel by foot for several days. I knew that he did not look well, but I believed that his appearance was due to the hardships that he had recently endured. Mother must have been having similar thoughts because her earlier alarm had subsided to concern and then sympathy. If the heat from the hearth is causing the loft to be too uncomfortably warm, I can show you how to open the window, I said. He nodded. There is a bit of a trick to it, I added with a smile. He returned my smile. Thank you, miss, he said. When he had finished, I followed him into the loft and showed him how to open and close the window. The room did not feel especially warm, but he did have several blankets on his bed. I imagined him waking in a strange place, in a sweat, and sore from his long, arduous journey. I left him alone after promising to call him for lunch. At lunchtime, Eamon did not respond. Mother and I agreed that he probably needed the rest more than he needed the meal. We let him rest, and it was not until Father had returned that Mother began to prepare dinner. This was unusual because Mother usually had dinner prepared before Father returned, but she had been busy doing laundry all day. I had seen her washing and then trying to repair the laundry that Eamon had brought. After a few hours, she had finally given up. 
She was tired and her eyes were shadowed. I realized that the additional work was taking a toll on her. I asked if I could help her and she shook her head. Father heard me and interrupted us. Glancing at the water near our hearth, he said, Costanza, can you please make a couple of trips to our well for some fresh water? I walked to our hutch area and saw why he was concerned. We usually had more fresh water, but Mother had used a lot of fresh water with the additional laundry. I grabbed an empty bucket. Father reached for it and put it down. He handed me a smaller bucket. Just a couple of trips and pour the water into this larger bucket for your ma, he said. I walked to where we had a small well at the far end of our plot. This, I recently learned, was quite a luxury, as most people in Clonlara had to walk a considerable distance to a well for their daily water. The night air was cool, but it was not raining. I was relieved because I was planning on searching for the kittens again that evening. After making a couple of trips, the larger bucket was nearly full. Mother thanked me as I passed her. She was busy preparing dinner. Mother, is there anything I can do? I asked. She shook her head. Do you mind if I go outside and look for the kittens? I won't be long, I said. Mother shook her head again. I'll bring back a bundle of wood, I called over my shoulder. We kept a pile of wood and kindling at the far end of our plot. The overgrown hedge provided an especially nice cover from the rain. Father had built a small shed but the hedge provided additional cover for when the rain was heavier. I knew that my offer would please her because she hated to walk the length of the plot to gather additional wood, and Father never seemed to have the time. I grabbed my lantern. Shannon, as before, preferred to sleep instead of help me with my search. I looked at Father and Mother before I left our cottage. Mother was fatigued, and Father appeared somewhat haggard. I was concerned for both of them. I wondered if our guest had brought the chill with him, and now we would all take turns coming down with it. It had been a month since I had been ill. I inwardly groaned at the thought of it. I was not looking forward to a bout with a runny nose and a sore throat. I carefully combed the hedges nearest our back door for any signs of kittens. I slowly made my way down the length of our plot until I had reached the area near the clearing. I knew that I should not take the risk, but this time I simply couldn't help myself. I gauged that I probably had 30 or 40 minutes. I looked over my shoulder and made my way to the path. I walked down the path carefully, picking my steps. I looked through hedges and listened for any sound that might lead me to the kittens I had previously heard. As I walked along, I saw that I was not very far from Una's cottage. I gasped. I had wandered much too far. If father and mother were to call for me, I would not be able to hear them. I turned and quickly started to walk towards my cottage. It was then that I heard a scream. I stopped in my tracks and listened. I heard it again. It was a woman's scream. I ran in a direction of the scream. I did not have to run far before I saw the source of the screaming. A woman stood in front of her cottage. She screamed and wailed. Her husband was carrying a limp, small child. He moved wordlessly towards the path. I called to him. Sir, can I help you? Do you need a doctor? I asked. 
He looked at me. Tears were streaming down his cheeks. He did not seem to comprehend my words. The woman screamed again. Then he cried out to me in a broken voice. She is gone. It is too late for the doctor. She is gone. He fell to the ground, still holding the girl. I saw then that she was the young girl that I had seen with her mother on the day that I had first seen Una O'Day. She was as white as a sheet. She lay limp and peaceful in her father's arms. Her lips were turning blue. I turned around and ran as fast as I could to my family's cottage. My chest heaved and I panted. Tears streamed down my face. She had been so happy and healthy when I had seen her with her mother. She did not appear sickly. How in God's name had she succumbed to an illness so soon? I couldn't understand. When I reached our cottage, I tore through the clearing and into our plot. I ran to our back door. Flinging it open, I ran into our cottage. I collapsed in tears onto the floor. Father leapt up in alarm and walked over to me. He lifted me up. Are you hurt, Costanza? he asked. I shook my head. No, da, I just saw something awful, I said. Mother walked over to me and crouched down. What is it? she asked. I was sobbing. I took a deep breath and tried to collect myself. There is a young couple that live near Father O'Brady and Una. They have a little girl, I began. I started to cry again before I could finish. Father nodded empathetically. Yes, they do. I know the family. He works for me, he said. What is it, Costanza? I took another deep breath and tried again to calm myself. She is dead. I saw her da carry her out of her cottage. She is dead, I said. I began to cry again. Mother and father blanched. Mother raised her hand to her mouth. Father got up quickly and went to his and mother's room. He returned in a few moments wearing a coat. What could have happened to that child? I'm going to their cottage now, he said. Mother looked at father with a look of sad resignation. The child probably died of fever, she said in a low voice. Father and I both looked at mother. Mother walked to the loft ladder. She hesitated and then climbed the ladder into the loft. I heard her softly murmuring as she tried to rouse Eamon. Father and I nervously exchanged looks. We waited and listened. Mother's murmuring ceased. Father moved towards the ladder. It was then that Mother hollered to us. Costanza, bring me some water and a towel. He is not responding to me and he is barely breathing. We need a doctor now. Father quickly left through the back door. I knew then that Mother's dire words were true. Fever had arrived at Clonlara. It was only the second day since the first of the workers had arrived. I wondered how many more had fallen ill, how many more would fall ill before the fever had run its course. It took more than two hours, but Father returned with the doctor. He was the only doctor in Clonlara. Without saying a word to Mother or me, Father and a doctor went into the loft. They were there for some time. I looked across the table at Mother. She stared at the loft ladder. She felt my gaze and looked at me. The angel of death is passing over us. Until it has passed, do not go near that man. Do you understand? She said. Her voice was hoarse and there was an urgency that surprised me. I realized that she was terrified. 
I nodded in agreement. She got up from the table and started towards the ladder. She called up to father. Do you need anything? She did not receive a response. She returned to the table and sat down. I went to the hearth and added some wood to the fire. We waited for what seemed to be an interminable amount of time. I watched mother as she nervously waited, avoiding my gaze. Finally, father and the doctor descended the ladder. Mother got up from the table and walked to them. Father's face was grave. So was the doctor's. The doctor spoke to mother softly. The young man is clinging to life. He could easily succumb to the fever. He will need fluids and rest if he is to survive. Do not give him any food but broth. Keep him warm and do not let him shake himself free of his blankets. In his feverish state, he will probably try to do this, he said. Thank you, doctor. If his condition worsens, we will call for you, she said. The doctor looked at father and then returned his gaze to mother. He replied flatly, If his condition worsens, do not call for me. Call for a priest. Mother stared at him. He turned and walked away towards our front door. He left quietly, closing the door behind him. Father ran his hands through his hair. His face was careworn. He whispered to my mother. I jumped up from the table and walked to them. No, no. Don't do this to me. I want to know. I am a child. I need to know, I said, my voice rising with emotion. They both stared at me. Father took a deep breath. The child that you saw tonight died of the fever. Three more children and their mother have been taken ill at another cottage. All of those they have taken ill have boarded some of the workers. It seems that they have brought the fever with them, he said. I stepped back in alarm. But it has only been a couple of days since they arrived, I said. Father nodded his head. True, and we will probably see far more people succumb to this fever before it is done, he said. Father walked towards the back door and left again. Mother and I watched him. I knew that he would not return for several hours. Mother's gaze returned to me. Go to your room, Costanza. It will not help for you to wait up for your father. I can care for Eamon, she said. I can help you, I protested. Mother sharply cut me off. No, Costanza, go to your room. She walked away with the resigned look on her face. Her previous panic had vanished. It was as if she were accepting an awful fate or walking to an executioner's block. I returned to my room. That night, as I lay in bed, I heard father return. It was very late. His footsteps were heavy. I was sure that his heart was too. I got out of bed and quietly opened my door. I saw father warming himself near the dying fire. He did not turn around. Another child has died, he said. He walked to the room he shared with mother. I closed my door and returned to bed. I did not sleep very much that evening. I thought of the child growing within my womb and wondered how it would feel to bring a child into the world and then see it die of such an awful illness. I shuddered at the thought. I thought of Seanan too and hoped that he was safe and well. I remembered Mrs. Brady's kindness and hoped that she too was safe and well. I finally drifted into sleep, a fitful and restless sleep. 
I dreamed that I was returning Mrs. Brady's basket to her. I reached her cottage, and it was quiet, too quiet. I opened the door and called for her. I began to walk around her cottage looking for her. When I reached her room, I paused outside of the door. For some reason, I did not knock on her door. I opened the door and saw that mother and father lay on a bed. They were as ghostly white as the child I had seen. Their lips were blue, too. I recoiled and ran from the room, dropping the basket. It rolled away from me. I reached for it. I was desperate to reach it. I woke in a sweat and sat up. I moved to the side of the bed and found myself trembling. I wondered if I too had fallen ill, but I soon recovered myself. I looked out of my window and saw that it was dawn. Mother and father would soon be stirring. I stared out of the window until I felt my eyelids grow heavy. I returned to bed. I wondered how the dead could look so peaceful and tranquil. I wondered for how long the light would remain in our cottage. The following day, I was confined to my room. Mother brought me food and multiple mugs of tea. She even kept me company for a short time. She did not want me to come into contact with Eamon. She worried that he would try to leave his sickbed and wander into our main room. I wanted to leave my room, but I did not argue with Mother. She was clearly exhausted. I was certain that if I had complained or argued, she would have burst into tears. The next morning when I woke, I knew that it was later than my usual waking time and that Mother had not woken me for breakfast. I dressed and remained in my room. Mother finally opened my door a couple of hours after I had woken. By now she was as careworn as father. Shadows had formed under her eyes. I looked at her and I knew what she had come to tell me. I waited for her to confirm this. He has passed. Your father is not here, and I am not sure when he will return. You need to find a priest and some men who can carry the body out of our house, she said in a tone that was devoid of emotion. I stared at her momentarily. He is dead. He cannot receive the last rites of the dying. Why do we need a priest, I said. We need to notify the authorities, and a priest will take care of that, she said. Where will his body be taken? I asked. Costanza, just do as I say, she said. Her voice was calm. She walked away, leaving my door open. I put on my shawl. Suddenly I realized that Mother needed me to do this because she was going to have to prepare the body. I did not want to see this or be a part of it. I hurried and left our cottage. I took the path that ran towards Father Brady's cottage. I did not wish to see Father McMahon. I hurried along. The wind was stronger than it had been the day before. When I felt the first drops of rain hit my face, I walked faster. After less than ten minutes of walking, I heard the sound of voices. I could not make out what was being said, but I could tell that the voices were angry. I ran to the bend in the path and saw several people in front of Una's cottage. Father McMahon was among them. He motioned with his hands for them to quiet themselves. I came closer and stood behind a man. I have just come from Widow McNamara's cottage. She has lost two of her children and a third is ill. So far, five of your children have perished and several more are ill. 
Many of your neighbors are fighting this pestilence, Father McMahon shouted. You were told that you were spared the hunger that has seized all of County Clare and that God spared you because you were faithful to the old ways. You were lied to, deceived by a priest that is not a true Christian. He is false. He is depraved and he has led you into sin. You are all lied to. Now God has punished you. You must show God that you are remorseful and that you will no longer follow the old ways. You will no longer be deceived by this false prophet, he continued. As he spoke these words, voices were raised in agreement within the crowd. Father McMahon turned around and pointed at Una's cottage. The woman that lives in this cottage is an abomination. She is living in sin with the man of God who has been ordained by our Holy Mother Church. They are both sinners. As Eve tempted Adam, she has made sure that Father Brady cannot mend his ways, he shouted. She is a moral pestilence on our village. We will not rid ourselves of the pestilence that has taken your children until we rid ourselves of the pestilence that threatens all of our immortal souls, he continued, the vehemence of his words reaching a fever pitch. He pointed at Una's cottage again. Rid yourself of this blasphemous adulteress. Rid yourself of this whore, he shouted with even more fervor. Two men moved forward. One of them carried a pike. They rushed towards Una's front door and began to beat on her door, forcing the pike into the door. I heard a loud cracking noise. The wooden door was splitting. People in the crowd cheered as the door was destroyed and forcibly opened. The men rushed inside. I heard angry voices coming from within the cottage, and then suddenly I saw her. The men dragged Una out of the cottage and threw her onto the ground. More people charged forward. One of the men emerged from the cottage and threw a red shawl at Una. A woman stepped forward and grabbed Una's arm and roughly pulled her to her feet. The man that threw her shawl glared at her. This is the most befitting color for you, he said. He continued to glare at Una before spitting on the ground. Be gone, whore, he added. Una managed to get to her feet. She tried to walk back towards her cottage, but one of the men hit her and she fell to the ground. He repeated the words of the other man. Be gone, whore, he shouted, his face pulsing with anger. I recognized him as the father of the first child that had died. Una rose to her feet and began backing away from the man. A younger man stepped towards her from the crowd and swung a stick at her. It barely missed her. She backed away from the crowd even more. An older man grabbed her arm and pulled her into the path. Soon the crowd was shouting and forcing her along the path. Panic seized my chest as I watched the crowd force Una further and further from her cottage, driving her away as if she were a beast. I pushed the man in front of me and tried to run. He stopped me and knocked me to the ground. I was stunned. He glared at me and slapped me across the face. Go home to your mother. This does not concern you, he hissed. I rose to my feet and looked once more in the direction of Una. 
She was several feet away from her cottage. She was being driven away further and further by the angry crowd. I watched as a child threw a rock at her. She covered her head with her shawl and moved further away. Father McMahon looked on with a look of satisfaction. The crowd shouted in unison, Be gone, whore! This episode of All Those Things Revealed is based on a novel of the same name, available in print and Kindle formats at Amazon.com. Thank you for listening to the Iris Stories podcast.